welcome to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. I'm Rosie. I'm Hope. And today we're going to talk about uh, the different levels of government and their responsibilities and their roles. Ooh, sick. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So sexy. Yeah. <laughs> this is very interesting to research because, well, no, it wasn't actually. That's the thing. Uh, this is really boring to research, um, which made it kind of difficult because a lot of the resources that are out there, it's it's either very, very in-depth and very, very uh, academic and specifically kind of written by and for people who are, you know, in politics. Um, so you have that stuff that's like the super highbrow and then you have the super lowbrow um, student stuff for like for young students. Um, and so that's like the online learning stuff that I see my niece and nephew do. So it's interesting that there wasn't really that much of a middle ground. Um, there are podcasts about local government. I didn't listen to a lot of them and I probably won't mention a lot of them just because they're not necessarily an overview. I couldn't find an overview of local government, which is what I wanted. Um, and I was hoping I could just, you know, I could say, oh yeah, this podcast has this and this one has this, but I can't do that. So, so here we go. Yeah. All right. Let's get into uh, it. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the federal government. So, so before I researched this, I, I did know that the federal government did not have as much power um, as we sort of seem to think it does, you know, like that it's curtailed in ways people don't realize. But I didn't realize sort of like how, how much the states can separate from that um, and how much power the states really do have. Um, it's very interesting. Okay. Um, to to start off, I'm just going to go over like a list of what most of the powers of the federal government are of the U.S. so that we can have uh, a good idea of their powers that are expressed. And then we'll talk about uh, the other types of powers they have. So expressed powers, also called delegated powers. Uh, those things are things like uh, they have the power to levy and collect taxes, to coin money, regulate its value, uh, punish people for counterfeiting, establish post offices and roads, issue patents, combat piracy. That's fun. Uh, declare war. Ooh, not fun. Uh, create federal courts inferior to, inferior to Supreme Court. So that's the lower courts that aren't quite that high. Um, raise and support armies, provide and maintain a Navy, make laws for regulation of land and naval forces, regulate interstate and international trade. Uh, so that's not an exhaustive list, but that's like a lot of the powers of the federal government. Um, obviously, they can and have been doing some things to also address public health as well during coronavirus. Uh, but the states have had some issues with that because, you know, how far can the federal government really go? Right. Um, yeah, but th that's that's a lot of what they're doing. So it's not, you know, it, it, if you are very concerned about uh, things that are happening in your city, uh, you shouldn't really be paying more attention to the federal government elections, you know, because uh, because they really don't control a huge amount of what affects our day-to-day -day life. The things that they control tend to be bigger, you know, right. money, war, right. that stuff. Um, so, so that's kind of what I found out about their expressed powers. Are you interested in talking more about that or do you want to move on to the implied powers? No, this is, this is a subject where I am pretty ignorant in a lot of ways. Like the last time I remember talking about this was like schoolhouse rock type stuff. 
Like I just like nice. part of why I'm really excited to do this podcast is because there's a lot of stuff that I keep meaning to look more into and learn more about. And then I never make time for it until we were like, we're going to make a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, great. Now I have time to learn about very specific things, but we have been talking a lot about how bills are passed and like how important knowing about the laws are for social work because I'm taking macro social work right now and um, they're trying to get more social workers involved in the political sphere so that we can help pass more mental health type laws and to absolutely less stigmatize uh, legislation. So yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna have a whole lot of input in this episode. <laughs> You're like, wow, I didn't know that. That's okay. No, I I mean, this is, I think this is a very, this is one of the ones that will be very informative because, yeah, I didn't know a lot of how things are kind of separated and who gets to do what, who can't do what, et cetera. Uh, But okay, so well, we talked about the expressed powers um, and effectively the expressed or delegated powers. Um, You can use either term. Those just mean things that, the constitution does talk about like things that they say, like, like combating piracy. They don't use exactly that word. They do use the word piracies. Um, like it, it, that is what they're talking about um, on the water. So, you know, it's things like that <laughs> establishing post offices. All of those things are very like hard and fast, obvious, like, this is what this means. This is what you have to do. Um, the uh, implied powers are a little bit different. Uh, because they are not specifically granted to the federal government. Uh, They have to do with basically carrying out all of the things that they are expressly told they can do, Uh, which is a little bit, okay, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit confusing, Um, but let me see. So, so implied powers are not specifically granted in the constitution uh, or by the constitution, but may be inferred by the elastic um, or necessary and proper clause. Uh, so this is a clause. It, it's Article One, Section Eight, Clause Eighteen of the Constitution. Uh, because uh, I, I did look it up, <laughs> I went and actually read it. It gives the national government the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper, carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by the Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or office or officer thereof. That is a mouthful. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So, like, that's clear. We just move on, right? (laughs) Sick. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, so effectively, like, that means that it's whatever the government deems necessary, whatever the federal government deems necessary to carry out the things that they have been expressly told to do, the powers they've been expressly granted. Those are the implied powers, you know, in order to get from A to B, you know, there's, you know, one, two, and three. These are the things we have to do in between that. And so the one, two, and three is the implied powers, the things you have to do to get from A to B. Is that um, weird? Does that seem a little vague still? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is incredibly vague. Um, so with that, uh, so moving forward with it, like, uh, how do we combat the vagueness of it? Well, the court systems tend to uh, end up making or affecting laws, I suppose, by their interpretation of what this is. Um, so, so if it's challenged, the court systems are what kind of steps in and says, yes, this is something that does fall under implied powers. No, it doesn't. You know. Um, so when you see 
uh, a judge who isn't necessarily a federal court judge striking down something um, that has to do with that. That also has to do with states' rights. Um, so it's it, it's very it's very very complex, and I'm giving like. I'm giving a pretty basic overview because I wanted to be able to fit it into an hour. Uh, but there are a lot of other topics we can get just from this, you know, <laughs> like we can have a whole topic. That's just the federal government. We can have a whole one. That's just like, what does a mayor do and have a mayor of a city Ooh, on to talk cool. about that? Yeah, you know, like I thought that would be really cool to do that. And you can work your way in, in local government and say, okay, so what does an auditor do? Because that's not necessarily something that I'm going to have time to cover here. But mm -hmm. so that kind of moves us along. And I am definitely wanting to tell everyone it's not going to be an exhaustive, um, you know, this isn't your number one source for all information government. This is an overview. So, this is a starting point. <laughs> yeah, this is a starting point. It's a very, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting starting point too, because yeah, the, the whole thing about implied powers, I had heard the phrase before, and I'm sure in high school I knew it, but it's definitely something that kind of went by the wayside because I wasn't being reminded of it. Um, so I'm very happy I was looking into it. Yeah, that I heard about implied and expressed powers, TBH. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely. Well, it, it's a thing where the implied powers do seem like they would be necessary, because you can't just say you can do these, this set of things and only that, because something's going to come up. And I think this is another er area where people say the founding fathers knew what they were talking about. Oh, yeah, this is the best way because that's what they knew. But the thing is, when you see a clause like that, that's put in there, like specifically because they knew things were going to come up that they weren't foreseeing. Uh, so it, it was smart to put that in there, but it does mean that they realize things are going to change um, and that context is important. You know, you can't get things done the same way in now that you could then. So, right. so, so it's interesting looking at this because you're looking at like, Oh, there's, they put built in this little catch all that's saying, you know, we could do other stuff if we need to. Yeah. Effectively. Um, and so that's why the court system is very, very important. It's why the election and appointment of judges is really important because if you have a judge that's just going to tell you you can do whatever you want to achieve this end, uh, then you've got a bad situation. And maybe we're going to have a bad situation. Who knows? Anyway, on to state powers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what powers do you think that state governments, governments have? Well... Rosie, being uh, born yeah. and raised Pennsylvanian, I know that they can restrict uh, alcohol laws because in PA, you can only buy alcohol in uh, state stores and like sanctioned alcohol stores and like places that have certain licenses. So like I'm still flabbergasted when I go to other states and there's just like full booze selections in gas stations. I'm like the CVS in California has more than a liquor store does here. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so confusing to me because we have to like a, like a lot in college. You had to like schedule getting your booze before the liquor store closed because they all close at like nine or 10 and they're not open on Sundays. So like if you were having a random like Sunday. The Sunday thing is was kind of weird to me because. I remember seeing in Connecticut, they would like cover over whole sections and be like, it doesn't exist. Right. Cause we're a Quaker state. Yeah. Which we should look into that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We should look into that as well. 
Uh, so, so, so yeah, it's about as far as I know as state laws. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we figure out the things that are uh, affecting our lives. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, what powers do I, I have written down here? What powers do state governments have? Uh, so, here is not an exhaustive list, but a list of a lot of the things they take care of. Um, issuing licenses like driver's licenses, um, not passport, not Coast Guard licenses, which is probably where our minds mm-hmm. both go. But um, but but driving licenses, um, business licenses, that kind of thing. Um, regulate intrastate business, um, so intra, not inter. Uh, intra just means within the state, um, because the federal government would be in charge of regulating interstate trade. Right. What's and up? I guess I do know that whenever you get you know, your license to practice, like being a therapist or other stuff like that, your license per state. So yes. I've been told that it's kind of easy. There's like a catch-all test that you can take, apparently, was the last thing I heard. Or it's like really easy to switch from state to state, except for California. <laughs> the person I was talking to was like, do not register to be someone in California if you plan on being other places. And I was like, okay, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And I suppose that people in California know that as well. You know, that if I get licensed here, it's going to be difficult to move that. But yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, your licensing for um, for when you become a therapist will be through the state that you're in. Yeah, so that so they do that. They um, they conduct elections. Um, poll workers are actually generally hired by local officials, um, but we can get to that later. Uh, they establish local governments, usually around population hubs. So a state is uh, responsible for making sure that each area that needs to have a local government has one. Um, and that can be things like county, oh, geez. They, those can be areas like counties, municipalities, towns, townships, boroughs, et cetera, that kind of stuff. Um, they can ratify amendments to the state constitution. Um, just FYI, the state constitutions, uh, those, it's the same as the federal constitution, but each state has their own. They tend to be much longer. Like they're about four times longer. Usually they're much more detailed. They're also much more easily changed. Huh? Um, so yeah. Yeah. So so, so you have, uh, every state generally has their state constitution um it's possible that some call it something different but generally yeah it's yeah. the constitution um so there's a, yeah, a lot of lawmaking going on at that level which, which i'll also talk more about but yeah so they do that they take measures for health and public safety they also oh it says they also may exert the powers the constitution does not delegate to the national government or prohibit the states from using uh and the reason i want to highlight that is because medical marijuana and recreational marijuana are laws that really, really, um, that really clearly kind of elucidate what that means. Um, so because of the 10th Amendment, the, the federal government is limited um, in the ability to directly influence state policy. Um, and basically, they can't force states to criminalize something that's criminalized at a federal level, Got it. Uh, which means so, so the reason I'm using uh, marijuana as uh, the example is because obviously people know it's illegal at the federal level, but it's not at the state level in some states, and that can get confusing. Uh, but that, that's because of the Tenth Amendment. Um, it's because they they don't have to do that, and we can talk a little bit more about that um, as well. Right, that was with if you want to end. Yeah, that was whenever Colorado decriminalized or whatever, and there was just like a mech of people being like, I need to go to Colorado right now. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah, that Colorado, in like high school or something. Washington. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. And and it's and it's because 
they they've decided that they don't want to to make it illegal. Uh, and I think a large part of that, and we can do a whole episode on medical marijuana and recreational marijuana, et cetera. But it's a lot of time and money uh, for jails and police officers and things like that that just doesn't need to be being spent in that area and then also if you regulate it you can make money off of it for the state so i i think it's honestly a really smart thing to do um it does depend on your views on the subject but uh but yeah that's definitely an area where states can separate from the federal government right um and they and and they often do and a lot of them have done uh so moving on uh so a lot of lawmaking is done on the state level um, as we talked about, the constitutions being usually more involved and a lot longer. Um, I do want to talk about um, this organization with the acronym ALEC. Uh, so I used as some of my research, uh, I used a lot of government websites and things uh, for my research. But for one of the, the aspects, uh, I looked at John Oliver's catalog of last week tonight. And I was like, I bet he's talked about stuff that would be, you know, interesting when we're talking about state governments and local governments. Um, and they did this whole episode on uh, ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council. I want to make sure I got the words right. Um, what their website says they are is America's largest nonpartisan voluntary membership organization of state legislators dedicated to the pr- principles of limited government, free markets, and federalism. Wow. So I think it's very interesting. They say nonpartisan, but then they also say that they are dedicated to the principles of limited government, free markets, and federalism. So GOP, like that's <laughs> what it is. It's, it's Republicanism. Um, I looked at their, uh, if you look on their list, and and what I'm getting is from Wikipedia because I couldn't find, um, I couldn't find another list. I tried on their website and I'll, I'll try again. But as far as for their list of members of the American Legislative Exchange Council on Wikipedia, and it could be wrong, but this is just the most information I found on it. Um, it looks like there's like three Democrats. And then a huge list of Republicans. Nice. Um, they said on last week tonight that uh, one in four. Yeah, they, they said last week tonight that and this is episode 23 in season one, if anyone wants to watch it. But they said one in four legislators are members. Um, Alex website says nearly a third. Um, so these are state legislators. And uh, they're making a lot of the laws. (laughs) Um, In fact, state legislators end up passing a lot more laws than federal legislators. Um, So what this means effectively, um, them being members of this, uh, what ALEC does, and I'm not going to keep referring to it by the whole name, I'll just call it ALEC. um, What they do is they write bills that can then get introduced into legislation. they can, you know, basically writing a bill for a lawmaker who can then go put it into legislation. Usually they will alter them into their own words and stuff like that. But there are, have been occasions also of uh, state legislators just bringing bills that literally have the ALEC letterhead on them. That's <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, this I got this bill from this place and now I'm trying to push it forward. Okay. You know, so it's there's legislators that aren't even writing their own bills. There's this conservative bill mill, which is basically it's putting a lot of them out there. So if you ever think that this, the the uh, elections for state legislature, um, so that's your state house and Senate, 
um, aren't important. They really are. And they're kind of being usurped by one party in a really big way. Right. Um, <laughs> because, you know, if you have one party that has effectively a company that's just churning out bills that address all these conservative issues, um, they've got a leg up. So, and I don't think that the solution to that is that both sides have it. I think that uh, legislators should be required to have some kind of way of like writing their own legislation or they have a team that writes it or something like that. I don't really think that it's reasonable to say we're going to get our bills from this company that's making bills. But yeah, it's a very interesting episode, very worth looking into a little bit of a tangent there. Um, I might cut some of that out when I edit it, but, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting to know about it because their bills, they're often um, including efforts to expand things like private prisons, private colleges, payday loans, et cetera, all things that negatively affect poor people. Of course. Um, Yeah. So, so it's great. So they say they're nonpartisan, but effectively they're made up of Republicans. So let's keep an eye on that and maybe uh, not allow them to have nearly a third of our senators as their members. Sorry, not senators, um, nearly a third of our state legislators. So, yeah. (laughs) So that was kind of interesting. I have to say when I was looking at the state stuff, it, it was eye opening and scary. Mm-hmm. Like, because it seems like a lot of, oh, there was, there's another thing I wanted to talk here about states too. Um, okay. Yeah. Here's another thing that I didn't realize about state legislatures. Um, so you think of legislators like members of the house, members of the Senate going to work as a job, right? Right. So uh, they have sessions though. And uh, for example, We'll look at uh, the Utah. Uh, let, where is it? Jeez. Okay. Uh, okay. So if you look at the Utah state legislature, they only have one forty-five day session per year. So yeah. Okay. Exactly. It's for everyone who doesn't realize, Hope just made a <laughs> a really good face. <laughs> but yeah. So forty-five days where they're doing all of the lawmaking in Utah. Um, and it doesn't mean, of course, that they're not doing other work at other times, but that's the only time they have to be there. And it does seem like, okay, well, what's happening in the rest of the year? You know, right. there's 320 other days. Right. Because stuff so, that comes up as soon as that 45 days is over and expired yeah. isn't going to get talked about for another like 320 days. Yeah, or or you could talk about it. You have to keep conversation going until Congress is in session again. Right. Because yeah, exactly. When things kind of aren't talked about, they go by the wayside. So oh so if you look at that, like they're not full time necessarily. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. And so it's definitely worth looking into uh, your state and talking about. Is just talking to viewers, not necessarily you. But uh, it's definitely uh, worthwhile looking in and seeing how your state legislature works because they're not all the same. And some of it's kind of uh, unnerving. Um, Another thing. Yeah, that's probably especially important if you're moving and if you're going to school in a different state, because that's going to affect stuff that you probably don't even realize, whether that be like undergrad, grad school, PhD, whatever. If you are doing something for an extended period of time in another state, this should be something you look into. Hope. Yeah, you should know about state laws. Uh, Absolutely, because they're not. Yeah, like I say, they're not all the same, and there's some weirdness about some states. Um, and specifically, if you're getting anything that has to do with licensing, um, as hope is, I would say it's a good thing to look into. 
Um, an- another troublesome thing I found out is that uh, like very often lawmakers at a state level are generally supposed to recuse themselves of being part of a vote that could be good for them financially. So if you look at like the federal uh, government, if, if, for example, a senator were to take part in a vote that would help them financially, it would be pretty easy for people to find out about that. Um, and so I think there's a little bit more of a deterrent at a federal level when people know who they are, but a lot of people don't know who their state legislators are, or sorry, state legislators are. Uh, so if you don't know who your state legislators are and you're not keeping tabs on what they're voting on, it is very possible for someone to be, uh, in their state's Congress and just be, you know, making bank off of whatever bills they're pushing through. Right. Uh, there's there's nothing to stop them from not recusing themselves and say, no, I'm just going to go forward, even if there's a conflict of interest. And sometimes um, there have been uh, conflict of interest that are just considered to be like not not valid, or they'll just say, yeah, there's a conflict, but it's okay. Like, right. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. So there's there's there can be lots of conflict of interest in the state legislature, and there's not necessarily anyone saying you can't vote on this because you can benefit from it. So conflicts of interest abound, and right, and it's and it's scary because they say a lot of lawmaking is done on that level. A lot of the lawmaking that affects your everyday life is done on that level, and it could be some self-serving politicians in there. I mean, we hope that they're not, but yeah, I mean, but we know there. So are. that's <laughs> fun. So sexy. Oh my god. So great. <laughs> oh, so great. Um, so the. The last level, and the reason I want to do it this way is because there's actually, there's more, I think, to talk about, or I don't know if there's more to talk about because there are complex issues with the other ones. Uh, there's There are more departments generally in local governments than in any other level. Uh, it, so I'm looking at the local government things and they... So as, as we said before, local government is generally a government of a county, town, township, municip- municipality, I can't say that word, and borough. Uh, so it's it's smaller. Sometimes they share things. Um, like, for example, like there could be a county courthouse if you have a bunch of small towns and then maybe each small town would have their own police force, you know. Right. Um, so they can work cooperatively together. But yeah, police departments uh, are... A local thing, fire departments, emergency medical services, libraries, public works departments, building and zoning departments, schools, parks and recreation. Shout out to Leslie Leslie Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Municipal courts, sanitation departments, where all the hot chicks are, according to parks and recreation. Uh, (laughs) Roads and streets, public safety, water sanitation, senior citizens, uh, senior citizens programs. Sorry, they don't take care of senior citizens. Um, just programs for them. Uh, cemeteries, housing, community development, and environmental protections. And of course, that's not, again, not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of a lot of things they do. Um, a lot of the budget for uh, local governments is supposed to go towards education um, because that's such a huge thing. Schools are huge. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they necessarily do, <laughs> but uh, generally they're supposed to. Yeah. So that's local government does a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah, sounds like it. Especially yeah, with the education. Like that's yeah. all 
Well, you hear so much whenever you're like in school about like the state and how you have to do things according to the state, but it sounds like it actually comes down to a lot of like local stuff too. Yeah. I mean, the state and the local governments do work together on it, but what, yeah, generally what I see from my friends who are teachers is that, you know, at the school level and to some extent at the local level, they're dealing with uh, the requirements they have from the state, like standardized testing and things like that. So, yeah, it, it generally is. It's it's boots on the ground versus who's actually uh, making the laws. And in a way, I think it definitely is worth defending states' rights and like municipalities' rights to govern themselves, uh, just because different places are going to want to have different laws uh, for whatever it is that they're concerned about. But, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about where you draw the line because it seems when I look at this, like the federal government doesn't really have to do a lot for us. And of course that's the Republicans will point out, like this is a Republic, not a democracy. Like this is in socialism, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yes. Okay. But (laughs) it does seem like the local government, has to do a lot that other government agencies aren't willing to do um, at other levels. And right. it's a lot of very important stuff. And it's a lot of the stuff that affects my daily life a lot more. And I'm really disappointed myself because I barely know who any of my elected officials are yeah. in, in my local government. I mean, I know the mayor because I've met him, right. but that like, he's involved in like that. That's why yeah. I know him. Right. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's not a tiny town that I live in either. So it's interesting to me that, and I, and I think I've a little bit been conditioned to ignore the local politics, which which is very strange because my dad at one point did run for uh, a local position, PUD commissioner, which I still don't fully understand. Right. Um, but I still feel like growing up in the US, the way that we look at our political systems, we think like, oh, well, the president matters the most and then, you know, mm. lower than the president, then it's the senators and house of representatives, et cetera. But if you're trying to affect real change, well, the local government kind of is where it's at. If you read it takes a lot longer, the bestseller becoming by Michelle Obama, she talks a lot about that with um, where she met Barack in like how he was mm-hmm. doing a lot of like, grassroots stuff in Chicago and that actually broke down really well and it like showed me how important the local stuff is and how that affects change it's a trickle up thing rather than a trickle down thing yeah yeah and that's and that's kind of like what I was more interested in uh kind of my big takeaway I think from all of this is that the trickle up rather than the trickle down because like I, I, as I said, like I haven't really been paying attention to local elections. But where do we think that people like Barack Obama come from? You know, where does, you know, oh, yeah. where, where do politicians come from? Yeah, people like they AOC. usually have to do stuff. Sorry, go on. People, people like AOC, who was a bartender, yeah. the next year she was a congresswoman. Like she's affecting so much change, whether you like her or not. Yeah. She's making waves. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think people really like 
like that. So there is a big jump like that, but that's hers is, is such a huge jump into the public sphere, which is, I think, why she's getting so scrutinized. Um, I think she's standing up to it very well. But yeah, but if, but if you take other people who've who've like gone up the rungs throughout different local governments to their state government, to, you know, like there are people with very long historical careers. Um, I guess you could point to Bernie Sanders as one. We should I should have found Republicans I can point to, too, because there's just because I'm only pointing to liberals and I'm like, but yeah, but but those are the people that I know more about and I'll learn more about other people as things go on. It makes sense that the more liberal leaning ones are more well known because they care about poor people and they care about the working man and they care about the middle class like you and I. Yeah, but yeah, I, I should definitely read Michelle Obama's book because that's very interesting to hear that about um, her journey. I don't actually know enough about her as well, but on yeah, local government note, is. On a side note, so she wrote Becoming, which is very good, but then she also wrote a book about gardening at the White House where she planted a bunch of victory gardens and stuff. And it is so good. I read it while I was driving the book mobile, not like during while I was actively driving. I should get that for my mother-in-law. It's so good. And it made me, I read it right after November of 2016. And it was making me so sad because I was like, she put so much work into those gardens and I know they're just going to rip them all up. And guess what they did? They ripped up all the victory radishes. anyway oh my god yeah it's really good yeah it's like it's so interesting going from that to like a situation where like 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 as much as melania trump is a victim of the situation i'm sure she never meant to be first lady like i mean she's also complicit um but like mm-hmm. it's a whole other podcast. it's to come to come from the the first lady who's you know doing things like that to the first lady who's like i'm gonna fuck about christmas decorations like stop asking about kids in cages oh god oh it's so upsetting i love that anyway still, like sorry i love that i could still like see all the stuff she's doing like she came up with this book mm-hmm. and then she did a Netflix thing about the Becoming tour and like she's still talking to Oprah and giving all this. I watched the Netflix <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, I did, I I did watch the Netflix thing. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. Can we talk about okay, we're gonna talk we're gonna go on one yeah. tangent. So I was driving okay. home from somewhere and I was listening on the radio kids, the old radio where you can just listen to stuff in real time. <laughs> and it was what? Obama giving his last speech as president. Oh my god! And he was just—he was yeah. getting emotional, and I was getting emotional. And then I came home, and my mom was on the couch, and we watched it together. And we were both getting emotional, and he just like pointed out, "You can just tell him and Michelle are just like BFFs." But he's like Aww. Michelle Levon Robinson, girl from the South Side of Chicago, and her daughter is just like sobbing, like everybody's crying. And she's like, everybody sit down because you got a standing ovation. And I was like, I'm so sad for tomorrow. That's so sad. Oh, no. No, no, Barrio. Why you do me like this? Anyway. That must have been such a terrible time to leave the White House. Just like, oh, we did so much. I I wonder if any of it's going to be left. To this MFM. Yeah. 
I'm I'm so stressed about the election. So federal state um, anyway. government. <laughs> federal state, as it turns out. <laughs> as it turns out, grassroots organizations do actually do things. Um, and one thing I really wanted to uh, drive home about local elections and even a lot of state elections, too, is that a lot of these people are running unopposed. Um, and, and when I say these people, I'm talking about, like, of course, like legislators who are there more to help themselves. Um, not talking about Republicans. Republicans I, are, can do wonderful things. Democrats can do as wonderful things as well. Like, right. yeah, so it's it's not a party thing. I'm just saying that, um, you know, the people who, the people who are running, who may be putting into law things you don't agree with uh, and things that you don't support, uh, those people might not have had to run against anyone to be elected. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to have huge, huge piles of qualifications to run for something. And, and I think, and as much as it's easy to laugh about this, that Donald Trump is the example of that to the highest degree because he was able to become a president without any of the experiences we would normally expect uh, of someone. He'd never been in Congress and people like that because he was an outsider. But hey, I mean, we could use that as, at a local level too. You know, you can run for uh, you can run for the auditor of your uh, area. You know, you can there's there's things that you can do if you have a background with any kind of um, management of stuff. Um, There probably are things you can do in local government. And even if you don't have that background, you can probably help with it. And local government does lead up further. Like there's people who started there that go up into uh, higher offices and do end up doing things that's a long road. Uh, But I think it's important, especially now when we do have a president, like someone like Donald Trump, who didn't come up uh, the rungs of the ladder. Well, if he can do that with the presidency, like maybe you can do it and be a state representative. So, Um, yeah. The other thing is it's not hard, quote unquote, hard to... mm present your problems to your local government. So one of the classes mm-hmm. I'm taking this semester is called macro social work. So there's different le- three different levels of social work. So there's micro, which is like individual one-on-one social work type stuff. Mezzo, which is in the middle of like working with families and groups and stuff like that. And then macro is like whole community, city, society as a whole, like everything. So in macro, we're talking about how I might have talked about this already, but we're, the professor keeps driving home how important it is for social workers to become more involved with politics and elections and bill making and legislator, legislation and stuff like that, because that's the only way we're going to affect real change. And it talks about a lot of what the course is getting down to is you're someone who works in micro social work and you're in a community and everybody's coming to you with the same problem. It's not the fault of the client. That's not their fault if it's happening to everybody. And the way to affect real change is to affect the whole system that's creating that problem, which is usually Mm -hmm. having to do with like society, lawmaking, legislature, stuff like that. So you can present, you know, get a team together, present a problem, let the legislators know about it. Because without the micro social work, letting people know what's going on with the problems in the community we're never going to be able to affect that change on a macro level. So they kind of meet mm-hmm. each other. And then one of my assignments this semester was interviewing somebody who did macro social work. And that's what he was saying. He was like, 
Micro is important because that lets us know where the problems are, but macro is how you affect the change to make that not a problem. And he said that this is Dr. David Conley, who works at UNCW here in Wilmington. And he was saying that, um, so you get the problems from micro and then macro is how you create that change. And our goal as social workers is to have no clients. Like that's the goal, but that's never going to happen. But like, that's what you want. You don't want there to be any problems. You want all the systems to be running to like benefit everybody who would be having problems in their day-to-day life. But how bills are passed and like why legislation is important. A lot about like political stuff in this class because of a lot of it has stigmatized language in the legislature against mental health stuff. And people don't use legislators who are like old white guys don't usually want to make a change unless it affects them directly. And and of course, we'll acknowledge that there's people who aren't old white guys that feel that way as well. It's just that's what we've seen in a lot of government. Just happens Um, to be the stereotype. Yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah. People just, yeah, people don't want to do anything to affect themselves. But it's, yeah, it it really is a trickle up. And Mm -hmm. this is really making me want to watch Parks and Recreation, actually. Um, I was thinking about when you're talking about the the social worker's goal should be to have no clients. I was like, I was like, yeah, it's like how theoretically that would be like a dentist school, but it's not. You know, I thought of Jeremy Jam. Yes. (laughs) It's just like sugar on everyone. Here's the other thing, though. I So my therapist. Jeremy Jam, I think, is that. Sorry, I just want to go. I want to have like a little fun Parks and Recreation moment. I think Jeremy Jam is like the the absolute uh, example of why we need more oversight in local government and even like in like state government as well. Because as we talked about, like the state legislators and like in local government, they're expected to recuse themselves of a vote that could cause them money. Just watch that show and see like. That's what happens when people don't do that. I would, it's a ridiculous way to look at it. But if, you, it's, if you never watched Parks and Rec and you can't get into it because of the first season, that's fine. Start with the last two episodes yeah. of season one. Mm-hmm. That's where the Absolutely. show picks up and becomes a show instead of just something that's on TV. So, But yeah, it is a very feel-good show and you actually learn a lot. And then the same could be said of The Good Place, but that could be a whole other episode. Mike sure is a genius. But so my therapist. But yeah, is, no, no, no. Parks and Recreation is, is I, I think, sorry, I just want to interject. I think it got a lot smart, uh, better because they made Leslie Nope a lot smarter. They did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sorry, go on. They made her an HBIC. Um, and so my therapist that I've been seeing for the better part of about four years now is an LS, licensed LSW, licensed social worker. And so whenever I was like contemplating getting into being a therapist and going to school for social work, I was like, is I've heard social workers don't make a lot of money. Like, is this a thing where I can like sustain myself and this is a good thing to get into? And she said, there's always going to be crazy people. (laughs) I was like, that's not nice, but I get what you're getting at. Like, there's always going to be a need for people to talk about their problems, which doesn't make you quote unquote crazy. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. People are always, especially with like Gen Z coming up and like doing a lot of work to like destigmatize therapy and like mental health and all that stuff. I'm going to be. Yeah. (laughs) You know who I heard talking about therapy the other day um, on the daily show, Uh, Chris Rock. He's like all about the therapy. Apparently he does like, he's like, yeah, I have like several different, 
therapists, but he does like a lot, like seven hours a week or something. Like it was like, he's doing like intensive therapy to try to like, that's really good. Discover stuff about himself. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And especially that like a dude and especially a man of color coming and saying things is awesome because that does not tend to be the case. Celebrities (laughs) of that caliber probably need so much therapy just to like feel like a normal person. I know, right? And that's really, really good because there's a lot of men of color and especially black men that have a lot of... They they, they maybe think it makes them lesser than... I think there's a tendency with men especially to think it makes them lesser than. And and, and I think that in certain communities, that's even more so. We can Um, have a whole toxic masculinity series and call it toxic masculinity. Mental health, toxic masculinity, self-image. Stuff like that. Although, although if we do, um, if we do toxic masculinity, I feel like we should have a man on to talk about it as well, just to show. Griffin would do that. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of the guys that we know would talk about that. Um, Dilly would, but yeah, yeah. Just, just, just to show the like, you know, that there, that this isn't just women attacking masculinity. <laughs> right. No, what toxic uh, masculinity is as much of a thing that women should be concerned about, just like how men should be concerned with feminism. Yeah. These aren't yeah, these exactly. aren't mutually exclusive things. Like this isn't something all of us need to be on top of and figuring out. I need to say that my cat is just fully on my legs, just like belly up with her little rabbit feet. And she's sleeping. She's being very cute. Aww. I think that our cats are both hanging out with Chris because he's out there watching football or something. But the I, so I was going to say with the toxic masculinity that we're getting really, really, really off topic, but uh, I mean, there's a lot of that in the government. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's one more thing I wanted to say, which doesn't fit in at all now because we've gone on a lot of time. I heard that you uh, meant that getting off topic was the thing of the government or toxic masculinity, and it both works. The whole, everything, <laughs> it works on so many levels. Uh, there is one more thing I want to talk about. This is actually also from a John Oliver episode as well. Okay. Last week tonight's a very well-researched uh, show, and they generally... Um, I'm, what I'm going to try to do is load a YouTube video of these because they're usually all findable on YouTube. Um, put them on the website once I figure out how to put videos on there because this is a huge learning curve for me. But um, it, yeah, it is, the show is very well researched and usually they'll show you what their source is while they're going. So you don't really have to search into stuff later, which is nice. Um, Real time. Yeah, so there's so there's season two, episode seven uh, was on municipal violations, and it was just something I thought was important to talk about as far as local government, because this is not, I, I didn't realize how much funding for local government and local government programs comes from things like fees and tickets and stuff. So like, yes, I realized that a little bit of it went to it, but I didn't realize that like they're basically the reason all of those fees have been blown way out, you know, and you get a, a speeding ticket that was something that was kind of reasonable. And then it becomes close to $300 is because of the fees uh, and fees for tickets, such as speeding. They're often um, put on so that municipalities can fund local services without raising taxes. Um, so double-edged just, sword. Let, yeah, it is. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who will say like, like, oh, well, that's just fine. I mean, if it's a violation, like they're breaking the law. So like, why does it matter? But this does actually tend to hurt poor people more. 
because so for example, if you uh, if you get your license suspended for for tickets, that can affect your ability to go to work and stuff like that. And you can get your license expend license suspended in a lot of places for failure to pay tickets. So if you can't afford it, you get your license suspended, so you can't go to work, so you can't afford anything. And where does it go from there? You know, and so it's it's kind of easy for people to you know, brush it off and say, well, but they still broke the law, et cetera. Um, until you take into things like ticket quotas, you know, like you have police who legitimately are told, you know, you need to be issuing more tickets. You need to be, you know, catching more criminals who are going 10 over the speed limit or whatever it is. Uh, so these things, because of the fees that come with them do tend to really, really hurt uh, poor people um, because you can pay you can pay for the for the ticket, but if you haven't paid all the fees, you still end up with compounding interest on money that you need to pay. Uh, and even with payment plans, sometimes sometimes it'll cost money to enroll yourself in a payment plan. So if you can't afford to pay, like there is an example they had on the episode of a a woman who couldn't pay a forty one dollar ticket, and it's like to date she's paid hundreds on it because it was all going to fees because she was on a payment plan. And it and it, so it's it's stuff like that where so this is how some cities are getting funding because people get so mad when they raise taxes, um, and and I will say as um, a political independent, I am fine with my taxes being raised, <laughs> uh, in order like I think anyone who is financially comfortable should be fine with having their taxes raised so that stuff like that doesn't happen because yeah sure if if a, if a person has a speeding ticket that costs them like you know we'll say the 40 bucks although they're usually higher but whatever it is and they can't afford that and they end up with more fees because of that that turns into a very unfair system that just keeps them in debt right and also you can end up going to jail for not paying these tickets which is essentially a debtor's prison which we should have gotten rid of hundreds of years ago right so I saw yeah, and, and it's a situation where you're sorry, I have like one more thing to say. Um, so if, if I was in that situation, it would be annoying to me, but I could just pay for it and move on. That is not the way that a poor person could look at that situation. Um, and and just listeners, please don't let the, you know, the idea of a payment plan for that let you think it's something that it's not. A payment plan means they're effectively going to be paying more. Um, and this really is an issue where having money makes the issue just go away. Right. And uh, and I don't really think that we should be relying on stuff like this for the funding of our cities because it's insane. We're victimizing citizens. Right. So that's my piece. Sorry, go on. <laughs> so talking about trickle up, there was a thing I saw on the internet where I see everything. And it was like, I think it was talking about just like on an individual, <laughs> on an individual level, it said there's no amount of budgeting and um, not eating out that can account for the fact that we don't make enough money. And it sounds like that can apply to cities too, where it's like, there's no amount of like anything. And then these like little, I want to call them yeah, tricks, like but making I guess a bunch like, of cuts. Yeah. Like that doesn't mean that you have the money to cover everything you need. Right. And then there was another thing. If that you was, cut something, it's you're cutting something important. Sorry, go on. Oh, what was the other thing? I saw another thing on the internet. What did it? Oh, so this is kind of related, but not really. But it said that banks made like over a billion dollars over a year in um, overdraft fees. 
So they made a billion dollars of money on money that people didn't have because they overdrafted. A billion dollars. That's not ethical. That's not okay. So it's not really related, but it's talking about how systems steal money from people who don't have money. But it's a similar kind of thing. You know, penalizing people for not having money. Right. Um, and it's, and it really isn't, yeah, it's not a solvable problem. You know, I can't say it's, it's the whole thing about, you know, avocado toast eaters can't have a house because, you know, we're spending too much money on groceries. So it's like, well, that's not going to, no, no amount of avocados I can actually eat is going to amount to a house. Why, you know, why do they care so much that we're not buying houses? Who gives a shit? I don't. What, why does it matter? Because it changes the economy and it doesn't fit into the situation that, that we're used to. And our country does not like to evolve its systems. I mean, we kind of saw this in the episode about the Electoral College, um, yeah. which, oh, by the way, states, st- oh, this is very important. So states also have Electoral Colleges, but we are talking about local politics, too, and saying people should get involved. Um, local politics is one of the only areas of our uh, elections that's actually democratic because Ooh. there isn't an electoral college deciding right. that. So it's one person, one vote for your local election. So please do remember that because yeah. your vote means a lot more in a local election than it does federally. Yeah. What was I talking about before that? We were talking about banks and the rich people. Yeah. The, the systems of penalizing for people, people for being yeah. poor. We're getting to the, I mean, they are, yeah, we, yeah, we are getting to the end of it. Cause, uh, yeah, we're at 54 minutes. Um, yeah, so so trickle that's up. Probably a good place to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so just I think my my big takeaway and hopefully the big takeaway for for listeners is that it's a lot more complex than you might think it is. Local politics and local elected officials, you have more power with them than you think you do. Um. And those people could end up being state legislators uh, or possibly going on to Congress. So pay attention to who is there. Um, If you are interested in running for an office and don't really know what each of them means or what you're qualified for or how to do it, uh, there is a site called runforsomething.net. They have a lot of resources. Um, You can volunteer for them. You can uh, listen to their podcast. They have all kinds of information that you can look for um, that will kind of give you an idea if you're qualified and can run for something in your area. And if you can and you're qualified and you have the passion and you want to make real change, I definitely recommend it. I think that was the only thing I wanted to plug was just runforsomething.net. Something that I think is we're going to come back to as we're talking about more heavy subjects is... Things can look challenging, but mostly they just require a little bit of effort more than I think people want to put forth. So if this is something you care about, just put in the work, put in the effort, and you'll be able to make a lot of change. Now, this can get into a whole thing about people with social anxiety trying to create change when you have to like go up and talk to somebody, and that's where extroverted friends come in handy. <laughs> so yeah. just... There's ways to do it. There's ways to work the system in your favor. And nothing is... And other people are working it in their favor. So it's not a bad thing to decide you want to work it in your favor. Because... Nothing's too hard. 
Yeah. And and also the, the change you might be able to make at a local level will be incremental um, and will seem like it takes a very, very long time. But it is worthwhile because a lot of that stuff does come from from that level and it's how things get uh how things get national attention. So so yeah, I'm I mean I'm comfortable ending it there. Um oh your kitty is so cute. She's dead uh, hands right now. She's just dead ass asleep in my arm. <laughs> She's so tired. It's hard being tiny. What's she been doing? Oh she woke up me up like 14 times this morning. Not fun. Uh, as always, I will plug Dicks for Good. You can find on Ed. Oh yeah, Dicks for Good. And uh, Dicks, Dicks for Good. If anyone didn't uh, understand what it was or wasn't paying attention to the last couple episodes of the podcast, uh, the uh, well, thank you for listening to this one for one thing. Uh, but Dicks for Good is a business uh, that makes penis-themed art, and all of the proceeds. Go to charity. They go to things like End the Backlog, which is an amazing charity that you should go look up. Yeah. Uh, they go to uh, trans and LGBTQ plus uh, communities and just all kinds of uh, you can areas that need some more funding. You can- and you can, uh, yeah, you can commission one if you want uh, a picture of your friend as a penis. Yeah. You should you should go to the Etsy shop, Dicks. For the number four, good. Dicks for good. They also have an Instagram. We follow them. They follow us. And uh, they have stickers. There's uh, she has a whole collection of Marvel characters. Don't forget uh, holidays. Get a Venom dick. Yeah. Everybody get get the Deadpool dick sticker and send a picture of it to Ryan Reynolds because I sent it to him and he did not respond. (gasps) So, yeah. I know. Come on. I thought if any of the celebrities to respond to a dick pic, it would be him. The Hulk, the Hulk dick might be one of my favorites because it's, it's on Instagram. It's a little Bruce Banner dick. And it says, you wouldn't want to see me when I'm angry. And then you swipe and it's just huge, ginormous green balls. It's so funny. (laughs) The official owner of this business is Mr. Jim business. So. Mr. Jim Business. Mr. Business. Mr. Business. Um, Mr. Business. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it's just fantastic. If anyone's seen uh, seen Superbad out there, which is probably a lot of you, given uh, what I've seen about our listeners, because um, I'm tracking you all on Spotify with the information you've given them, uh, but our listeners do tend to be very young millennials and seniors, uh, it seems, uh, and then we probably know most of them too. Uh, but anyway, so if you see the movie Superbad, it's uh, it's kind of like that. There was a a lady out there who liked drawing dicks in the same way that Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill's character did, and she's very good. So at she's it. doing that. Yeah, but she's got them. I I really like the Mitch McConnell sticker. Oh, that I have. That was that um, was an inspiration from another smart lady. Well, what else do I have on here? I have all of them on my computer. The ooh, the alien one is really the cool. Alien. I like really cool. I like the Venom one and the Spider Man one where the <laughs> web is like coming out too. is the gist. <laughs> yeah. I like them too. Shut up. Oh, Spider Man. We could I, I really want like one of the Spider Men or like someone who's one of the dicks to to respond because occasionally I'll send oh. I'll just send something to say an Instagram account, just be like, here's a dick pic. I wonder if I'll... Well she made a Trixie Mattel yeah. one. That is just beautiful. It looks just like her, you know, in drag. <laughs> she did Trixie and Pacha, right? I think so. Yeah. I think she did both of them. 
Yeah. Uh, well, they would probably really enjoy that. Anyway, okay, yeah, we're we're getting way off track. We're spending a lot of time talking about dicks, but we had a little extra time because I didn't use the uh, our online recording time as much for the last episode, so it's okay. But well, anyway, I hope your knowledge is good. a little less vague now. Thanks for listening. Yeah, my knowledge is a little less vague, but it's also, I mean, there's so much more that I need to look into. Um, I hope you guys will as well, but I'm sure we'll return to this. We might have whole episode, like if we can get a town mayor to talk to us, like that would totally be an episode, et cetera. So uh, anyway, just let us know if that's something you're interested in. And if so, uh, you can send us questions. Uh, we have an Instagram account. We have a Twitter. Um, our Twitter is vague underscore of, uh, so at vague underscore of. Uh, our Instagram account is vkoe underscore podcast our email is vkoe podcast at gmail.com and our website is a vague knowledge of everything.com nice so please feel free to contact us um if you have anything to say uh oh i would like to congratulate our first twitter follower <gasps> we, we, have, we have two now um but, but our first ever one was picked in castle so uh yeah, picked well, in. <laughs> That's a boat for people who don't know. <laughs> That's a boat. Uh, they have a cat named Fiji. Um, yeah, it's a very impressive boat. They sail around the world. Um, Picton Castle, look them up on Google because they were our first followers. So good for them. Um, I actually think Dicks for Good was our first Instagram follower besides me. So. Yay, Dicks for Good. Yeah, yay, Dicks for, for Dicks Good. good. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So that's the end of the episode. Uh, I'm Rosie and Facts Matter. I'm hoping now that you know better, do better. Dabs. <laughs> okay, bye. See you next week. Before you go, uh, this is Rosie. As I was listening to the podcast and I was editing this episode, I did realize that I never looked up the uh, Democratic version of ALEC, um, which, if you don't remember, was the American Legislative Exchange Council. Um, and I... I did find something that looks like it is a similar. It's not quite it's not quite the same. It's not as big. It hasn't been around for as long. They don't have as much funding, but there is something that is a similar sort of organization that works with progressive legislation. Um, the name is SIX, um, capital S, lowercase i, uh, capital X. Uh, so I will definitely be looking into that a little bit more and maybe later on down the line we'll do an episode that compares and contrasts uh, Alex and Six. Thank you for listening to A Vague Knowledge of Everything. Have a good day. <laughs>